Barefooting with Sierra uses Buzzsprout. Just start with the equipment you already have and a quiet space. Add Buzzsprout and your podcast is ready to go. You'll get a great looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to show how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. Following the link in the show notes lets Buzzsprout know that I sent you, gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan, and helps support the show. The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout and get your message out to the world. Hello and welcome to the 33rd episode of Barefooting with Sierra. This podcast is recorded on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional land, gathering place, and traveling route of the Cree, Anishinaabe, Blackfoot, Métis, Dene, and Nakota Sioux. My name is Sierra Larson, better known as Barefoot Sierra. I'm a novelist, comic creator, and independent journalist, and I've been living without shoes since 2010. I alternate between using she, her, and they, them pronouns. I created this podcast to keep my audiences in touch with all of my projects, to talk about things I create and care about, and to interact with the awesome people in my various professional networks. In this episode, I interviewed playwright, novelist, and freelance writer Louis Greenstein. I'm going to break this podcast up into four parts. Novels, comics, journalism, and barefooting. Each representing a different aspect of my professional life. I will give you updates on what I am working on, let you know about any new works you can see, and keep you in the know about when I do free book giveaways on Amazon. Let's get started. First up, novels. I'm still working on editing the finale to my Red 72 series. I'm nearly a third of the way through edits. I could use a favor as I have hit a snag. My editor thinks I should include more details about what it's like for my main character to walk around outside in Manila. What does she see, smell, hear? I've never been there myself, and the only people I personally know who have are my ex-husband and his family. So if you've been there, please tell me what it's like walking around outside in Manila, Philippines. You can email that to Sierra the Barefoot Girl at gmail.com or message at Barefooting with Sierra on Instagram. And now for my interview with Lewis Greenstein. Hi, Lewis. Thanks so much for joining me on the show. Please tell the listeners a little about yourself, where you're from, and what you do. Hi, Sierra. Thank you so much for asking me to be here. This is this is just so cool. So my name is Lewis Greenstein. I'm a writer. Um, I live well. I spent most of my life living in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, um, except for four years in Colorado. Um, But then my wife and I raised our kids in Philadelphia um, around six months ago. We moved to the New Jersey shore. So I live on a bay about five minutes outside of Atlantic City. And I was thinking of you today because as the weather gets warmer and we have a beach in front of our house where the bay is, we see more and more barefoot prints. Uh, you know, as, as the weather gets warmer. So it's like, oh, tonight I'm talking with Sierra. <laughs> so I, I, I write um, novels, I edit nonfiction books, and I write magazine articles. Um, and I've also written a bunch of plays. And so that's, that's pretty, much, pretty much my thing. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of plays You've written on your author bio, it says more than 10. So a bunch pretty much covers it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think technically that's right. A bunch is is, is a ten or more. So yeah. <laughs> play, plays come in bunches. So I was, you know, I was commissioned to write a bunch, and <laughs> that works. Yeah, and then you you have a book of plays, Voices from Ariel, ten minute plays reflecting on the Jewish experience. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so I have 
three plays in that book. Uh, there's a theater, it's still around, it's been around for around 30 years, called Theater Ariel, in, um, based in Philadelphia, and they do productions all over, um, all over the country and, and um, internationally. And it's a theater dedicated to exploring the Jewish experience. And so I was very fortunate, 20 some years ago, uh, I was commissioned by, by the artistic director, Deborah Bear Moses, um, to write a few plays for them. Um, and, and I was given a lot of freedom and just, you know, it was really a great opportunity. She, she, she had a, a, produced a festival of 10 minute plays for several years. Um, so I wrote several of the 10 minute one act plays. And then I got commissioned to write kind of an interactive play that went along with the, with the uh, permanent exhibition at the National Museum of American Jewish History. It's a really cool museum, actually, like permanent exhibit, right? But then they changed their exhibit, so the place not really relevant. They, they should they should stop calling it the permanent exhibition. But I'm not going to, you know, I'm not here to give museum people notes. But they had my hopes up. I thought oh, this will run forever. But it was like a one woman show, and the the idea was amused in the museum took the audience around and, um, and, and showed them all the different, all the different artifacts and the exhibits. Uh, and it was just really a, a cool humanizing interactive piece. And I, and I've done other one person shows and um, bigger cast shows. It's a th- theater is a lot of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and I've done a bit of theater, but I mostly stick with novels. <laughs> <laughs> I like the writing part. Um, I liked making theater. So I, I, I did some acting when I was really young. For me, I, I wanted to, I, you know, I, I've been with my wife a long time. We wanted to have kids and, and um, you know, and, and, and the, the idea of, even when I was trying to, to, to make it as an actor, the idea of like, do I really want to work every weekend? Do I really want to like strive to go on tour and be away from family? And, and really my heart wasn't in it. And in 1985, I wrote a play and it got produced. And that was the coolest thing ever. I just just sitting in the audience and hearing people laugh. And just because it was a comedy, you know. It was just such a you know, I, I, I go back to when I was in elementary school, I had this wonderful librarian named Mrs. Kemp. And Mrs. Kemp read to us. And it was like the only thing I liked about school. It it was she had this beautiful voice and she was really warm. And every year she had this little secret when, well, everybody knew it was an open secret. When she read Charlotte's Web in the scene where Charlotte dies, spoiler alert, she, she would always ask a kid to come and read that scene. And it was like an honor. Come, you come in. Well, we all knew she couldn't get through the scene without crying. And we never even made fun of her for that. <laughs> so to me, and, 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 and not to give short shrift to my parents who read to me, you know, I got read to all the time as a kid and I got encouraged to read anything I wanted, everything and anything. And so I got turned on young to this sense of delight you get. You know what it's like when you're when you're reading a great book and you're right. You know, it's this sense of delight of being carried away. And I want to be able to do that. And that's really why I write and, 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 and what it's about and the stuff I do that, that, that isn't uh, fiction writing, uh, you know, I do to earn a living. It's, it's really valuable and it's great work. And, and I, and I'm so fortunate I can do it, but I do it so that I can afford to write stuff that will bring delight to people. Cause it's, you know, it's what I like. It's, it's what I love in life. 
Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> just like I have a full-time job at a magazine so that I can write fiction for fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. What do you do at the magazine? Um, I'm the publishing director, so I do everything. (laughs) You're busy. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, but I love it. (laughs) Yeah. I I love that you mentioned that as a kid, you were encouraged to read. Like that's, that's so important. And that makes such a difference in kids' lives. I think about that a lot. Um, My, my parents were very, um, I didn't realize at the time how, how, how wonderful they were about it. What they said was read anything you can get your hands on. And I remember my father saying, I don't care if you're reading a comic book or if you're reading literature, it doesn't matter. If you're reading, you're, you're getting those muscles going. He had a basic confidence that I was going to find my way to good stuff. And so it really, it really took. Yeah. It really, you know, you, you have a lot of love in your voice when you talk about your parents. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it, it's, it's, you know, so they, my, both my parents died really young. It was um, probably the most, I mean, definitely the, the most, the, the biggest influence, the most influential thing in my life, the, the, the biggest event was my mom dying when I was 13 years old. Um, it's something I've written about in, in, in terms of nonfiction and fiction. It's something, you know, I obviously you think about that a lot. And then um, my father died seven years after that. And I had a, a little brother who was killed in an accident 10 months after that. So I spent, you know, there was a lot of time when I, I, I was sad and <laughs> very unhappy and grieving, but I had, I had such great support. I had an aunt and an uncle who, and cousins who were just really wonderful to me and, 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 and generous and great friends and friends, parents. And um, so, you know, I, I, and I, I was thinking about this, um, like it, it, it's, um, I kind of through this tragedy I, I, I lived through when I was really young, um, it gave me license to live a kind of a creative life. And so when I was 22 and I had all these tragedies and all this grief and all this, so all the people who might otherwise have had these expectations of me to be like a normal person, <laughs> go to law school and, you know, like be a, be a normal person, like they're, they're, they're things like, okay, well, if he's not jumping off a bridge, he's not, you know, like, okay, he's not addicted to heroin or something. Okay. So they set the bar real low. So I, I, I'd been a juggler in, in high school and I decided I was going to go to mime school after college. Now, I'm a recovering mime. This is, I can, now that we've bonded, I can, I can tell you this. I, I'm recovering mime. So it was like when I, you know, when most people who are 22 and, and expected to kind of start a career, you know, uh, you know, announce they're going to go to mime school, right? People go, oh, no, no, you can't do that. You're People with me were like, okay, oh, good. That's that's so nice. Louis is going to be a mime, and so I had all this all this support and this license to to try to like figure out how to um, live in the world as a creative person, and it's um, it, it, it's worked out nicely. You know, I I haven't become <laughs> rich and famous from it, but I've been able to make a living and and. Um, my wife and I have raised three wonderful, amazing kids. And um, so, you know, it's a good life. I'm really glad you got that support. Like, that's that's really important, too. Like, my mom encouraged me to major in English, even though most people, when they're like, yeah, I'm going to go be an English major, they're like, 
okay, good luck with that. <laughs> You're gonna open up a little English store somewhere? <laughs> yeah, but I like I originally I was majoring in engineering and I was hating it and I was failing out of school. And my mom was like, Look, Sierra, switch your major to English. Do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I was always encouraged to, you know, to, to, to do, to, to, to follow my passion and do what I loved. And, you know, it's also, if you think about it, like I tell young people, um, you know, if someone's in high school or college now, especially in high school, the, the career you're going to be in, in 20 years, like probably doesn't exist yet. <laughs> so you should study things that, 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 you know, really turn you on. Because when you learn, you learn how to learn and you can apply your knowledge to anything. And if you want to pick up a degree in programming, you can do that. And if you want to get a degree in engineering, you can do that. And you can do it when you're in your 30s or 40s, too. So, I mean, I, I, th I think people should follow their their passions and the rest. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you seem like you've you've coped with your losses quite well. Like you said, you didn't, you know, become a heroin addict. You did go to mime school for a little bit, which is, you know, people yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah, right. No, it's, it's a good, it's a good therapy. It was a good therapeutic period for me. It was good. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I've I've had I've had you know I've been in therapy. I I practice meditation. Um, you know, some drugs help. Um, you know, it, it's um. But also, I've been in a good marriage. I, 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 I met my wife, Catherine, when we were 24. Um, we were both living in Boulder, Colorado. She was doing something sensible. She was going to college. She was getting a degree. I was working on my, um, my, my degree of madness that they gave at the mime school I went to, the, the MAD. And, um, but she, she, we, we met and we've been together ever since. And that has been you know, just, just um, a really profoundly great thing in my life well that's great i'm really happy for you thanks yeah so we could we could probably you know talk about your family all day but <laughs> let's let's kind of get back to the the writing stuff um i saw in your your author bio you've you've done all sorts of work like freelance you've got these books you've also you wrote for rugrats could you tell us about that <laughs> That's that's like my, my minor claim to fame. Yeah, I, I um so in the early nineties, I I had been commissioned to write a couple children's plays for a touring company in New Jersey. Um, and since I had these kids' scripts, and uh, actually I had a cousin who was working on on the Rugrats show, um, he hooked me up with a story editor who asked me to make a pitch. I sent the story editor the kids' plays I wrote. He said, oh, okay, well, you, you know how to write. Uh, why don't you pitch? And so my friend Larry and I pitched them some ideas, and, uh, and, and, and we ended up selling a script to them and then helping to develop characters. And um, I, I, I created the, the uh, Reptar cereal. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to, you know, <laughs> so Reptar cereal was my baby, and, and it's the only professional songwriting credit I have is the Reptar Serial Jingle. Uh, it's, a, it's a jingle for a non-existent product, but the co-write is with Mark Mothersbaugh of Devo. So, like, so that, that was just, but it was, it was a fun assignment. It, it came and it went, um, and it was a, kind of a function of having written kids' plays. Uh, but lately I've been writing novels, 
And um, I had uh, a, a novel called The Song of Life published uh, this year or last year in, in, in 2020. And um, it, it was just a, a great experience to write. Really, really fun. My first novel was kind of like many first novels, semi-autobiographical. It was about a boy who grew up on the boardwalk in Atlantic City. Um, my my family actually had some businesses on the boardwalk in Atlantic City when I was really young. So it, it's familiar territory for me. And I, 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 I wrote a novel about, well, if you know Atlantic City, you know my Atlantic City was kind of fictitious, but but it was a semi-autobiographical novel. For the second one, I wanted to challenge myself and just make something up. And so I was riding the trolley one day in Philadelphia, and I saw a young woman who, uh, who was carrying a co- copy of the Bhagavad Gita with her. And I, and like a young white American woman, not, not an Asian Indian woman, just um, blonde haired. I thought, like, what an interesting image. It's this young lady carrying a Bhagavad Gita. Oh, I wonder... I wonder how she how she came by it. Oh, I know it landed on her head. So, <laughs> so it's the first time in my life I ever wrote something, and I write draft after draft after draft. I'm sure you do the same thing. You know, you, you write, and you rewrite, and you rewrite. I've never written anything, including an article, where the first line, the opening line, didn't change from the first draft until the the, the, the published uh, book. And the, the first line is, I'm gonna I'm gonna read it. It could take a Bhagavad Gita landing on your head to wake you up. And so that's the whole novel. That's like, what I like about that line is that tells the entire novel. Um, this, the whole story is, is, is in that one line. Bhagavad Gita hits her on the head and it wakes her up. And so um, I, I made up this character, Margaret. And, and um, I'm like a little in love with her. She's wonderful. And, and she doesn't exist. That's the coolest thing. So, <laughs> and, and she walks barefoot to the lake um, every day. It's a five-mile walk as part of her meditation practice. Uh, but this book lands on her head. And, and if that happens, if a, if a scripture lands on your head one day when you're just sitting in a library daydreaming, yeah. it lands on your head and like bounces onto your lap, you figure like that had to happen for a reason. So you start looking for meaning and you start looking for, and sure enough, you start to find it. And so Margaret's life is, is transformed from this one, this one act, this one weird accident. And we find out, you have to read it till the end to find out how the Bhagavad Gita actually landed on her head. Um, so, so that really, it, it just started out for this one image of like this girl carrying this book. It was oh, this so, that's so interesting. Um, and so I wrote a novel about it. That's fantastic. I love that. <laughs> Thanks. You find inspiration in the in the most mundane of things sometimes. I know. I love when that happens because it's just so it's so random. And and I think part of like creativity is just trusting that randomness. You know, um, I, I, I edited this this Beatles book. And I, 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 I was working on this interview that this guy named Al Broadnax gave in the sixties. Al Broadnax was a producer whose job it was. He, he, he was the producer of the Beatles animated TV show. And his job was to get these guys to write a song a week. 
and he shows up in the studio in London one day and he's got this, his, his, all his stuff is in a, a brown paper bag. He's gotten off a, an airplane, goes into the studio and the Beatles are just running wild. They're goofing around, they're partying. And Al Broadnax flips out at him. He reads him the riot act. He you know, puts his bag down. He's like yelling at him. And you know, you have to run it. You know. and, and George or one of them says, you know, what's in the bag, Al? And, and John goes, it's where it keeps his money. Well, the next day they had keeps all this money in a big brown bag inside a zoo. Cause he said, this is place is a zoo. So when he, when Al Brodnax heard that line, he's like, that's what creativity is. You just pluck it out of the air. You just like, there it is. She, the girl's got a book. How did she get it? I don't know. It landed on her head. Oh, well, that's a neat start. What can I do with that? So it's just the imagination is just so, it can be so fertile. And, and you know, I, I wish I had more. My wife and I watched a thing about Prince the other night. The guy wrote a song a day, you know, like, I don't have that kind of creativity. I, I pull it out of the attic, but it, but it really comes out like, a, a, you know, a couple times a year. Um. <laughs> yeah, Prince was a legend. <laughs> I don't know how he did it. He was, he was amazing. I mean, just, you know, I wonder like what, what are some people plugged into where they're, they're, they're just constantly making associations and making new stuff. And it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. What is your favorite project that you've worked on? Well, so I would say in, in some ways, so the, the novels have been really great projects to work on. It gives me a sense of, of satisfaction and, and just like I'm, I'm doing something cool that people are going to like, but um, I work, I wrote a co-wrote a one woman show uh, based on the music of Laura Nero. And um, I don't know if you, if you know who Laura Nero was. Most many people don't, but she she was a great singer songwriter composer in the 1960s and 70s, who wrote a lot of hits for uh, Fifth Dimension. He, she wrote Three Dog Nights song Eli's Coming. She wrote um, Stone Soul Picnic, um, um, Stony End, all, all, all these great songs for other people. But she made eleven albums of her own music, and she was a genius. Um, and I collaborated with a young woman named Kate Ferber, who's a, a singer, musician, actress. Um, and, and we wrote this one woman show. We spent about five, six years, not, not full time. Um, just, you know, Kate's younger. She was, you know, she was off in college and Christmas break, summer break, we, we'd get together and work or work one day a week, that kind of thing. And, and the reason it was such a great project is it was just a wonderful collaboration, just 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 a back and forth and getting to know someone so well and 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 having that that trust and the generosity and 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 making a, a musical show um but also we met so many cool people we met great people desmond child the the songwriter and producer the guy who co-wrote all the Aerosmith songs he came to the show we hung out with him we <laughs> it, you know it was so much fun we and so we did the show in philadelphia Boston, New York, New Jersey, um, Provincetown, like all over. It was just, it was just a great project. And it was one of those rare things where, um, you know, it, it was creatively really satisfying and, and, um, and had a lot of integrity and we made some money at it too, which, which 
like in case you haven't figured it out yet, like <laughs> those two things are often not mutually exclusive, you know. <laughs> so it was just so so that was a great project, and another really really um, big important project I worked on was another one person show based on Albert Einstein, and I worked with a guy named Don Ospitz who's an actor, um, and he played Einstein, and um, we did such deep primary source research. I learned all about physics. So I learned about theoretical physics when I, when I wrote about Einstein and when I wrote about Laura Nero, I took piano lessons. So I am, I am the world's worst keyboard player. Literally. I mean, I, I guarantee you they don't come worse. Um, I, I, you know, for, for like five years, I thought like, I'll never get a metronome that works well. (laughs) It wasn't the metronome. <laughs> this took like five years to figure out. So, but, buddy, but um, so I've written one person shows about two geniuses, um, Albert Einstein and Laura Nero. And they both did their most important, greatest work in their 20s. And after their 20s, did, you know, arguably, not everyone would agree with this, didn't do as, as important work. Um, this so theoretical physicists and composers sometimes just have bursts of genius when they're really really young. Um, novelists don't tend to have bursts of genius when they're young. <laughs> like you need you need a life experience and then to to, to, to nail that. Um, so those are two really two two really neat projects I've worked on that I think have informed me and um, taught me a lot and um, gave gave really kind of um, underscored the uh, ability to do good research that I've developed over the years. Um, so, Excellent. Um, and where can people find your books? Oh, well, um, The Song of Life is um, published by, um, well, it, 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 it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's Sunbury Press is the publisher. Um, Ars Metaphysica is their, is their um, imprint that they have. So uh, you can go to Sunbury Press, S-U-N-B-U-R-Y dot com, or it's at Amazon. Um, and Mr. Boardwalk is my other novel. Uh, that's available at Amazon, published by New Door Books. So you can, you can go to the New Door Books website. Um, and I always try to encourage people, um, you can buy my books at Amazon, but wouldn't it be better if you bought them at your local independently owned bookstore? And if if they don't have it in stock in your local bookstore, which they probably don't, th- they can special order it for you. And if they won't, then go to Amazon. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, support local for sure. <laughs> for sure. Well, it, is, it has been great chatting with you. Thanks again so much for, for coming on. Thank you, Sierra. This was so much fun. My smile muscles are hurting. Thank you. (laughs) And now for comics. My child has never-ending curiosity. His curiosity extends to the person I have been going on dates with. What's his favorite color? What's his favorite food? What's his favorite color of food? Naturally, Paul is pestering Petunia about Raccoon Robbie's favorite foods as well. See my latest comic, Dog Meat, on my comics Instagram, at World of Possums. In comics news, Amarillo, Texas-based Unknown Comics has opened its first permanent retail store located in their hometown, of course. 
Unknown Comics is huge at conventions, but those haven't been happening. The retail store's grand opening was a big hit, with hundreds of people in attendance. Meanwhile, in Austin, Texas, Tribe Comics and Games is still operating on a much smaller scale than they were pre-pandemic. They're still waiting to begin hosting their gaming nights again. They're taking orders for comic books by phone, and will hold the order for pickup for one week. Alright, next up is journalism. In current events this week, Cleveland, Ohio's The Vineyards and Winery at Chateau Huff is looking to expand and rejuvenate their neighborhood. Their planned expansion will involve demolishing an abandoned brick building. This isn't the first time that Chateau Huff has revitalized the area. The now thriving business sits on what once was a vacant lot. Mansfield Frazier, the general manager, told Fox 8 News, Establishing a vineyard was kind of a political statement. The statement we're making is that the land we're occupying here in Huff is just as valuable to us as the land the people occupying in Hunting Valley is to them. The narrative in Cleveland always has been that the east side is less valuable, that it's crime-ridden, and we want to change that narrative by recreating the black middle class. This is part of our effort to do that. WebMD, everybody's favorite online search site to figure out if your symptoms are a migraine or if you're dying of brain cancer, is moving their headquarters and more than 600 employees from New York City to Newark, New Jersey. The company is expected to make their headquarters in the Gateway 2 building across from Newark Penn Station. Last but not least, let's talk about barefooting. I've had yet another wonderful week of going barefoot everywhere. If you follow me on Instagram, you saw my barefoot adventures at the farmer's market. It was my first time back since before COVID, so that was a big deal for me. Hooray for the people who make vaccines! Poet and creative writing professor Catherine Pierce writes poetry about climate change. She joined Steve Kerwid on the Living on Earth podcast on April 16th and shared several of her poems. This one was my favorite. Anthropocene Pastoral. In the beginning, the ending was beautiful. Early spring everywhere, the trees furred pink and white, lawns the sharp green that meant new. The sky so blue it looked manufactured. Robins. We'd heard the cherry blossoms wouldn't blossom this year. But what was one epic blooming when even the desert was an explosion of verbena? When bobcats slinked through primroses. When coyotes slept deep in orange poppies. One New Year's Day we woke to daffodils, wisteria, onion grass wafting through the open windows. Near the end we were eyeleted. We were cottoned. We were sundressed and barefoot. At least it's starting gentle, we said. An absurd comfort, we know, a placebo. But we were built like that. Built to stay, at least. Built to reach for the heat on skin on skin, even when we were already hot. Built to love the purpling desert in the twilight. Built to marvel over the pink bursting dogwoods. To hold tight to every pleasure, even as we rocked together toward the graying. Even as we held each other, warmth to warmth, and said, Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, while petals sifted softly to the ground all around us. Georgia's controversial new voting laws have all kinds of businesses and entertainers pulling out of the state. The latest is Emancipation, a thriller based on the true story of Whipped Pete, a fugitive from slavery whose back became one of the most iconic images of the Civil War. His real name was Gordon. He escaped from the Lions Plantation on the Atchafalaya River near what is now Crotts Springs, Louisiana. Gordon rubbed onions on his body to hide his scent from the search dogs and walked barefoot through the swamp for 10 days before he came across a Union soldier encampment where he was able to get medical attention 
and the famous photograph of his scarred back was taken. Gordon later joined the Union Army. Emancipation was originally scheduled to begin filming outside of Savannah, Georgia on June 21st, but the film's director, Antoine Fuqua, and lead actor Will Smith released a joint statement to Variety, which reads, At this moment in time, the nation is coming to terms with its history and is attempting to eliminate vestiges of institutional racism to achieve true racial justice. We cannot in good conscience provide economic support to a government that enacts regressive voting laws that are designed to restrict voter access. The new Georgia voting laws are reminiscent of voting impediments that were passed at the end of Reconstruction to prevent many Americans from voting. Regrettably, we feel compelled to move our film production work from Georgia to another state. Emancipation will now go forward with filming outside of New Orleans, which I like better anyway because it's more historically accurate to the setting. That's all for this week's episode. I'll be back next week with creative healer Corey McDonald. Thanks so much for listening in. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to sierrathebarefootgirl at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at sierrathebarefoot, on Facebook as sierrathebarefootgirl, on Twitter at sierrabarefoot, and on TikTok at sierraisbarefoot. You can follow the podcast itself on Instagram at barefootingwithsierra. All of my books are available on Amazon. My comics are available on Instagram at worldofpossums and patreon.com slash possumpete. Thank you to Legion X for the intro and outro music. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening, and please share it with a friend if you've enjoyed it. Until next time, this has been Barefooting with Sierra.